Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you. As uh, Nikki said a few moments ago, my name is Josh Cooper, and I am your uh, one of your pastors. My role here is in the role of discipleship and equipping. Um, and if you uh, any if you know the movie Office Space, one of the one of the most profound questions that is also most memorable from that movie is when someone is asked, "What would you say you do here?" Right? And I ask that question, what do I do here? My role is pretty fun because I get to create uh, new opportunities for people like you to engage in discipling relationships outside of the Sunday morning worship experience because there is more. There's more to life with God and to being a disciple of Jesus than merely attending worship services. And so it's my job to work with uh, you fine people to create new opportunities uh, for discipleship. And I usually preach quite a bit, but um, having taken on some new responsibilities in my role, um, it was nice for me to have the summer away. Um, I really enjoyed the summer playlist series. Um, But I'm also just really grateful and looking forward to opening God's word together with you uh, as we continue in our Sacred Pathways series. So let's get right down to it. You had a homework assignment from the previous week, and so I just by a show of hands, did you do your homework? Yeah, good number of you did it. Gold stars for you. The rest of you have an opportunity. If you'd like to, you can do your homework assignment. I'll let you know about that in just a minute. But um, Pastor Tim mentioned last week that he uh, is taking graduate classes at uh, a seminary uh, that's associated with our denomination. And I just had this feeling uh, that he gave us this assignment this week because, you know, he's he must suffer through the courses he's taking, and he wants us to suffer alongside him, so he's given us his homework to do. So very grateful. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for that. Um, you know, I did my homework because uh, my primary pathway is called the intellectual pathway. I'll tell you more about this in a moment. So when somebody, like a teacher or a pastor, says homework, I get really excited, right? I'm like Pavlov's dog. Give me the homework. I'm ready to learn. And so I hope you had the opportunity to do that, excuse me, as well. If you didn't, you can still go to our website. There is a link for the Sacred Pathways assessment on there. Um, It's about 30 questions, takes a few minutes to do, and you can find out what your primary pathway is for connecting with God. And I'm also really grateful we are doing this series because we're talking about the results and the implications of this teaching in our small groups. And so I want to continue to encourage you, if you're in a small group, um, to use the resources, the study guide, so on, um, to talk about what we're talking, continue the conversation outside of Sunday morning in your small group environments as well. And as I mentioned, this series is inspired by a book with the title Sacred Pathways. The book was written to help followers of Jesus better understand the various ways we express our worship and our devotion to an invisible but not impersonal God. And one of the key points from last week's message is that while there's only one way to God the Father, and that's through the Son, Jesus, there are all kinds of expressions or ways that we travel on that path. Just as we're all unique individuals with personalities and interests and passions and so on, observation tells us, and Scripture substantiates this idea that we all draw near to God in particular ways. 
The author of the book talks about nine common ways which we are naturally inclined to seek God, to listen to God, and to worship God. So what I want to do is go through them very, very quickly if you're not familiar with them already. And then I want to talk about one of the core practices that has been foundational to the Christian life for centuries that anchors us to God, which is our common desire to meet with God and to hear him speak to us as we engage him through his word, the Holy Bible. So looking at the screen, I've grouped the pathways together And the first one's called the pathways of wonder because these are people who draw near to God and grow to love him more when they are in awe of who God is. Awe and wonder, right? Awe and wonder of who God is and all he has made. These are the naturalists, the sensates, and the traditionalists. So naturalists, naturally, draw near to God through nature. I'm married to a naturalist. Sensates use their senses to draw near to God. So it's very important. Like loud music is very engaging to a sensate, right? Traditionalists draw near to God through rituals in symbol. The next slide, there are three types of people who are more quiet. These are my people. These are uh, those who are on the pathways of contemplation. Their souls connect best to God uh, more internally where they can think and find solitude and work on the depths of their inner world. These are the intellectuals, the the ascetics, and the contemplatives. So intellectuals, uh, which is, I mentioned, my primary pathway, engage God first through the mind. Ascetics draw near to God through practices like solitude and simple living. And contemplatives are fun because they are drawn to God through uh, heartfelt, deep, sincere devotion, right? And so uh, those are the contemplative pathways. And then there are the last three, and they're grouped together as more action-oriented pathways. They get the most energy, and they feel God's presence and love, and they are most engaged in their faith when they are doing something for others. I have a lot of, I have a lot of appreciation and respect for those on this pathway because that is totally not how I am wired. And they show us what it's like to love God and, or to love our neighbor as ourselves. So these are activists, caregivers, and enthusiasts. So activists are all about bringing social change. And caregivers deeply love and care and live for serving others. While enthusiasts draw near to God, through celebration and mystery, which mystery is just the sense that there is no end. There is no end to an infinite, uh, infinite relational being like God. You can always, there's always more to find, more to know, more to experience in mystery. So that's a super simple overview of the pathways for connecting with God. And I'm not going to take time today to talk about how each of the types might engage specifically with God's word. Um, but I did make a supplemental video for today for you um, or for your small group, which you go through this with your small group later this week. Um, you can find that video on our website under the Resources and Sacred Pathways page. So make sure you check that out. you also find this week's um, discussion guide for small groups. 
So with these things in mind, what I want us to do now is to open up our Bibles, and I think because we're talking about God's Word today, it's really relevant and important for us to actually open up God's Word. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open to Colossians chapter 3. You can get out your smartphone, open up your Bible app, find Colossians chapter 3. If you don't know where Colossians is, ask the person next to you. There's no shame in asking someone to help you find where we are going to be in God's Word, all right? Uh, And so we're going to open up to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to dive right into the middle of uh, some encouragement um, that Paul is sharing. And then we're going to go back and, and kind of break it down a little bit. So as you're finding that, you may be familiar with this passage uh, if, you, if you've encountered it before. So let's just read these words together. I'll read them, you follow along, as if they're brand new to us. And if the words that Paul is writing, Paul is very, very serious about what he's saying here, all right? And here's what he says, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The word for dwell here in this text is the word oikeo. It's from the Greek, and it means to be at home in, or to make your home or house. And so Christ in his teaching is to be at home in our lives. It's to be at home in our hearts. And, and Paul goes on to say that this word isn't just to be at home within us or among us. It's to dwell richly, not poorly or weakly, but richly. And, and richly implies depth. It implies meaning. It implies substance. It implies that there isn't a limit to Um, how deep God's word should be dwelling within us. And notice that Christ's words are to be expressed to one another through teaching and admonishment. And if you'll recall this summer, there were quite a few sermons through the Summer Playlist series where uh, this emphasis... um, this emphasis of one another and the significance of the one another's in the New Testament um, in, in elevating the importance of having a joyful community of faithful friends to learn to walk in Jesus' way together is crucial to your own spiritual growth and development. Pastor Tim, Nikki Maloney, Chris Stewart from The Bridge, each in their own way reminded us that faithfulness to Jesus is obedience to him. And all of this is meant to be experienced within the context of community. And so there are two questions that I hope we will find answers to, that we can discover answers to these two, inqu- these two questions today. The first one is this. Why is this verse, why is this passage important to us or for us? And the second is, how do we actually live this out in such a way that Christ's word dwells richly among us. Well, it appears to me that at this point in this passage, Paul is leading up. This is the big conclusion. And so Paul has been building and building and building his case for the first three chapters of Colossians, and he's gotten to this crescendo, this high point. So what I want to do is start at the low point 
and go back to verse 1 in chapter 3 and work through some things to see if we can understand why this is so important to Paul and it's so important for us today. And Paul begins this way. So, if you have been raised with Christ, I'll pause there because what Paul is talking about here is baptism. In baptism, individuals, because they go down into the waters of baptism, they die to their old life, to their old self, and they are raised to new life coming out of the water. And Paul says, so, if you have been raised to new life with Christ, then seek the things above. He's talking about heavenly things. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Intellectual pathway people like verses like this, where we talk about, yes, setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what Paul is speaking of is this profound reality of what God has done in Christ. Paul says this in a slightly other ways than other passages. You might, might kind of recall this, and as I tell you where Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says a very, very similar thing, but it's just in another way. He says in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. And so we awaken to this reality that Christ really, truly, actually lives in us by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Paul continues, then what? Then genuine life transformation is possible. When Christ, who is your life, I love that, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I kind of want to be around for that, don't you? Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Notice what Paul isn't saying here. Paul isn't saying that we need to stop doing certain things because they're bad for us. He doesn't say stop. He says what? He says put to death. He says kill it. But don't just kill anything. Paul goes on, right? He says kill the idolatrous part of yourself. Kill the deep inner desire that leads to those things. Because as long as the roots of our identity and our value is grounded in something other than God, we will never, ever, ever experience the abundant life in Christ that God truly has for us. And Paul goes on to say that because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in those things. I love that. It's past tense. When you were living in them. But now, present tense, put away. In the Greek, that means to take off or to put off like an article of clothing. Put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self and with its practices and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Isn't that awesome? You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And so Paul says, scripture says, growth and spiritual development is God's doing. It's not ours. 
Paul indicates that our new self, or your Bible might say nature, your new nature, is being renewed in knowledge. And the word that Paul uses for knowledge is an experiential kind of knowledge, not a theoretical kind. And there's a big difference between the two, right? Theoretically, I know how an engine is supposed to work. I can Google it and find out. Cognitively, I mean. Sorry. Cognitively, I know how an engine is supposed to work. But I have no, for me, I have no real practical experiential knowledge of how an engine works. I've never taken the time to take an engine apart and then put it back together in such a way that it runs again. I lack the experiential knowledge to do that. And so for Paul, this kind of knowledge is not theoretical, it's not cognitive knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's real knowledge confirmed through his experiences in his life, and it's finding its way out into the life of others. And then Paul, Paul has this incredible pro, uh, promise that is in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved ones, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then we're back to where we started by letting the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom, right? Teaching and admonishing one another with hymns and songs and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts. Don't you just love? And that's one of the reasons why, why do we sing worship songs as a part of Sunday morning worship? Well, for reasons like Colossians 3.16, someone had in mind to put together the words of Scripture or the concepts of the Christian belief and faith and put them to song for us to enjoy, to know what God is like, to know who God is, and to do so with gratitude in our hearts. So let me ask you, like, how serious do you think Paul is right now when he wrote this letter to this church? Was he a little bit serious about what he wrote? Was he half serious or, or was he more like heart attack kind of serious? He was very, very serious. He believed that this kind of life was possible. And each day, we are faced with situations similar to Paul where we have to cooperate with God by deciding what we will put on Or what needs to be taken off? Because our lives are lived in the context of real lives with other people. And so we cooperate with God and figure out what comes on and what must go off. No matter what situation we find ourselves in. And it used to be that when I read passages like this, I oftentimes would get discouraged. Or sometimes I would feel shame. Because my life didn't seem to add up. It didn't seem to look like what I was reading on the page. But something changed for me when I began to believe that Paul was actually very, very serious about what he wrote. That your life is hidden in Christ with God. And that spiritual transformation like this that affects your whole life is indeed possible. It's entirely possible to become the kind of person who lives this way in everyday life. 
to be the kind of person whose mind is set on things above and who puts off the old self with all of those practices and puts on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of your creator. It's possible to be a follower of Jesus and react to the world as he would react with kindness and humility and forgiveness and gentleness and with love. This kind of life is available to each and every single one of us in God's kingdom. I'm a big fan of a guy named Dallas Willard. His work is influenced my life in tremendous ways. Dallas is no longer with us, but what I especially appreciate is understanding of how spiritual transformation actually takes place in the life of a person. And Dallas has this great quote where he says, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And he goes on to talk about how discipleship as the, is, is the way to become the kind of person who does easily and routinely what Jesus said and does it without having to really think about it. Isn't that fascinating? I'd never heard that before until I heard Dallas say that. And I get how that sounds because I've been where maybe some of you are. So I understand where you're coming from when we hear things like this, when we hear quotes from like Dallas Willard, or you hear messages like from preachers or pastors like me who are saying this kind of life is actually possible. We think it sounds too good to be true because it doesn't really seem to line up with our current reality. But you know, I just want to say one really important thing is that Jesus really is that good. So whatever your doubts might be, or whatever your current situation might be, or whatever's getting in the way of you having genuine life transformation, Jesus is really that good. Truly. And the Holy Spirit is far more powerful than you give him credit for. Which is why I want to give you permission to do something that sounds a little strange. It's weird for me to say it. It's going to be weird for you to hear it. But I want to give you permission to stop trying so hard to change. You need to stop it. Because you cannot try to be a better follower of Christ. When I read the Gospels and when I read Paul's letters like Colossians again and again and again, I'm confronted with this incredible truth that if we want to know how to rid ourselves of the old self and the practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed by God, then trying harder won't help. The only answer is to train better. And one of the most important distinctions that I've ever heard when it comes to human transformation, thanks to Dallas and to guys like Dallas Willard and John Ortberg, the best distinction I've ever heard is understanding the difference between trying to do something and training to do something. Here's what I want you to think about. When you try to do something, you really don't care about the outcome. I like to try new food, right? I'm always willing to try something one time when it comes to food. And then I decide whether or not I like it. And if I don't like it, I'll never try it again. But when you train for something, you have a purpose in training. 
The difference between trying versus training is motivation. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 24, Paul says this, Don't you know that runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. That's important. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. I'd love to see that, by the way. That's what I think most runners are doing, by the way, when they run. They're running aimlessly, like for no purpose. Um, I would really like to see a runner run aimlessly sometime. Um, Or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So let's talk for a few moments about trying to do something versus training to do something. And let's talk, as Paul says, at the level of physical transformation. Paul says that people, runners run a race in a stadium. So let's just say that um, right after service today, the challenge for us is to go outside, assuming we have the shoes or whatever it is that runners need to run. Um, Let's assume we have what we need to do this and go outside right after service today and run, not walk, a 5K race. Who could do it today? Got a few hands. I'm seeing a few. A few and there's some, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a few of us. Now, here's another question. By a show of hands, right after service, the challenge is for us to go outside and to run not walk a 5K, if we try really, really, really hard. Who here can try to run a 5K? I know that first service is a lot of people. Yep, there's a few more hands. More hands are going up. So some of us can try really, really hard to run a 5K. But what needs to happen? If you really want to run a 5K, what needs to happen? If you're going to run a 5K, you need to train to run a 5K. So what does it mean to train? Again, I'll quote my friend Dallas, who says that training means I arrange my life around a set of practices that enable me to do what I cannot do now by direct effort. I'll say that again. Training means that I arrange my life around a set of practices that enable me to do what I cannot do now by direct effort. The point of training is to receive power to do what I cannot do now by my own direct effort or willpower. Training is required for just about everything in every area of our life. Think about it. You want to master a new skill or technique. Think about the way a child learns to ride a bicycle. We train them to ride a bicycle. You need training to play sports. You need training to lose weight or, lose, or, or learn a new language. You need to train yourself to write a book. Employers provide on-the-job what? Training for new employees. I mean, if I wanted to win a hot dog eating contest six months from now, what must I do between now and six months from now? I got to eat a lot of hot dogs, right? And so it's no less true Paul says, when it comes to the spiritual life. But yet we somehow treat it differently, don't we? 
And it's no less true when it comes to reading the Bible. And so Paul says things like this. He says, train yourself unto godliness. Train yourself. And so I understand that when faithful followers of Jesus hear these kinds of things, the kinds of things that I'm saying and what Paul is saying in this passages, what they do, they tend to do is they tend to go out and they try, and then eventually they burn, their self, they burn themselves out trying harder to be like Jesus. But we know that trying harder to be like Jesus doesn't work any better than trying to run a 5K with no training. And so this isn't about trying to change your behavior. That's not what we're talking about here because trying to change your behavior, that won't last and you'll end up right back where you are. That's a shortcut if you try to change your behavior. Paul is talking about a kind of change that happens at a deeper level. It's about becoming someone you currently are not. But with proper training, you can become. Jesus said this himself to his disciples. He said, when a student is fully trained, he becomes like his what? Like his teacher. You know, my oldest son recently turned 16 and I don't know if you've ever trained a teenage driver, but it's a hoot, man. It's a wild ride. You're really missing out if you haven't. If you'd like to, come talk to me after service today. So in order for him to become a driver, he has to get a certain number of hours behind the wheel, which means that I actually can't sit in the driver's seat. I have to sit in the passenger seat and let him control the vehicle and, and drive for hours and hours and hours in order to become a licensed driver. You know, if you want to train to run a 5K, that means you actually have to get some running shoes and you have to go for runs and then sign up for a race and compete in the race. I imagine, because I'm not an electrician, but it's true when you, if you become a pastor, if you wanted to train as an electrician, though, what do you, what do you need to do that? What, what needs to happen in order for you to become an electrician? You need to enroll yourself in a course of study, and then I imagine that you have to study as an apprentice under a master electrician for a number of years. And so it goes in the spiritual life that if you want to know God and you want to hear God speak to you through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit, what we need to do is stop trying to hear, and we need to train ourselves to hear God speak through his word. It was a few months ago that there's a woman who attends here made an appointment with me to talk about baptism. It was her intention to go public with her faith in Christ, and she wanted to go through the ritual of baptism, and we do that here on Sunday mornings, and so we needed to talk about that a little bit. And as these things usually go, uh, as we're meeting, the conversation kind of delves into other areas as well. And eventually we ended up talking about her habit of reading God's word, which was a real struggle for her by then. And so we talked about this idea of training versus trying. And how the Holy Spirit actually meets us right where we are. Meets us in our desire or lack of desire. And gives us the desire to want to meet with God and to want to be in his presence and to want to hear God speak to us. And that it's the Holy Spirit who, when we open up God's word, it's the Holy Spirit that reads the Bible with us to help us understand what it is we are reading and know what to do with what we've just read. Well, a few weeks go by, 
And by that time, I had completely forgotten about our conversation when on a Sunday morning, the same friend caught up with me after a service. And in her excitement, she said, Pastor Josh, I took your advice, which is always a little bit of a scary moment for me because I forgot at this point what the advice was. And, and you know, I sometimes give bad advice. So I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be responsible for whatever came out of her mouth next. But she said she took my advice and that she began to embrace the truth that the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit can and does transform her desire to know God's word for herself. And the best part for me was just seeing the inexpressible joy on her face, which was reflected in the gratitude of her heart for what God had done. Her training was starting to pay off. So for me, one of the best ways I have learned, and there are others here at Grace Point who are learning the same thing, one of the best ways to hear God speak through his word has been my discipleship group. I've learned that most Christians don't, what they need is a plan for engaging God's word in such a way that it dwells richly within them so they are receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. A discipleship group is the equivalent of driver's training for listening and responding to God's word in small group community. Discipleship groups are not the same thing as a small group, which we have a lot of small groups. Discipleship groups are smaller than a small group with a very specific agenda where we provide training and accountability for reading the Bible. And discipleship groups help us read God's word with purpose, actively listening to what God is saying. And since 2019, we have been training men and women at Grace Point and beyond Grace Point to hear God's voice and releasing them to go and make disciples of Jesus who listen to Jesus and then do what he says to do. And the impact of this training has been life-changing, not just for me, but for many and so here's a couple of stories just to conclude our time together. First one comes from Tanya. Tanya says this. She says, My experience with my discipleship group has helped me realize the power of connecting with what God wants me to hear from his word through the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know that the role of the Holy Spirit was so powerful in my life. Listen to here. She says, I always tried reading the Bible, but was never engaged. See, try Train. Journaling has really helped me to think about what I am reading, and the more I read, the more I'm able to feel connected to my Creator. I cannot express how grateful I am for this opportunity to really make Jesus the number one priority in my growing faith in Him and through Him. Tanya's story is unique, but it's not uncommon. There's another story I just share with you where Tim said to me, after some initial resistance of being in a discipleship group, if there was a legitimate excuse, I would think of it to not, to not be a part of one. My reluctance was on steroids, and yet for some inexplicable explicable reason, I still agreed to give this discipleship, thing, uh, discipleship group thing a try. Perhaps because I simply didn't know how to say no, but today I can say without reservation, it was one of the best decisions I've made. A decision that in some ways changed my life. My life continues to be filled with stresses and deadlines and pressure. And I am not yet a theologian, 
and I have not yet experienced metamorphosis from being a private person to a dynamic personality, that's okay. That's not what it's about, right? I'm still largely reserved and frequently confounded by biblical passages that leave me with more questions than answers, but my life has changed. Since my discipleship group began meeting, I've come to realize that steps with Jesus, Jesus steps with us when we step beyond our comfort zones. And he often presents us with opportunities so he can stretch us and encourage us. So let me just ask you, as we close our time together, is what's your plan for hearing and responding to God's voice in your life? Do you have a training plan? Or are you just trying? You're trying some things, trying to see what sticks before you try something else. If you're not the kind of person that you believe you ought to be, if you're not the kind of person who easily engages with God and God's word and listens for God's voice and and then does what, what God shows you to do through the Holy Spirit, if you're not that kind of person, what are you going to do in order to become that kind of person who routinely and easily does what Jesus said and did? Are you going to try harder? I hope not. Please stop trying harder, church. And start training better. Training yourself to meet with God, to meet with others, to enjoy the Lord, to enjoy your time with the Lord and listen to him speak to you through his word by the Holy Spirit. And you could do this yourself. You can. Some people are like that. They're really good at figuring things out on their own. But most people I know don't know where to start. And so I have an invitation for you to join me for discipleship group training. We're going to be offering training starting Monday, October 11th, which is a little over three weeks from now. And I'm starting it for anyone who wants to be a part of it. Anyone who wants to learn to better hear God's voice and respond in obedience and be accountable to others in a small group type of context. It's free to you. It's four weeks long. And it could, because I don't know many other plans that are as effective as this one, helping people get into God's word and then do what God tells them to do. I don't know of any other plan or process that's more effective than this. It's not perfect, But no discipleship plan or process is perfect. But it's the best I've ever seen. And so starting Monday, October 11th, I would love for you to be a part of that. If God is calling you to join those of us who are doing this currently, it's no uh, no cost to you. The commitment's four weeks, and here's how you can just get information. Use the connection card. Use the connection card in your bulletin. Leave your contact information. Check the box or write in the space that you would like to go through the training. Or you can use the Church Center app. On there, there's a sign-up tab on the app, and you'll find um, this training is listed as one of the options. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you need a plan or a process, a way to train yourself to hear God's voice speaking to you through his word by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, for the believer, dwells in each and every one of us. And gives us the ability, the capacity to know and to read and to know uh, and to understand what God's plans and his purposes are for us 
as his church. So the goal for you and for me is to become the kind of person who naturally listens for God's voice and routinely does what Jesus says to do in accountability to others. And then we do that. We fulfill the words of Jesus' brothers, James, who said, don't be hearers of the word. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be hearers and doers of the word. All right? That's your homework for the week. Sign up for training. Thank you all for your time. God bless you. We love you so very much. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed.